list of passages that we could pick from. And, uh, and I, I picked the one that, that the Lord was really speaking to me about, of course. But what I appreciate is uh, how it almost complements, almost is kind of like a supplemental to the messages that we've been hearing on Sunday morning from Pastor Joe. I, I just love how God works some of those things out. I just love how uh, when we talk about membership matters and, and we talk about the things like being one body of Christ, I hope we take that to heart and, and we really mean it. I mean, it's more than just words that somebody stands up here and says. We really are one body of Christ and we are better together. So I really appreciate how uh, this is not exactly a, a, an addendum or anything like that to, to the sermons that he's been preaching, but, but I feel that it really does complement uh, the messages that he's preaching. And, uh, you know, I, I have one of those pasts, and we all have a past, of course, but, but I have a past that I am not particularly proud of. I'll be honest, despite every advantage that I had growing up, I spent a good deal of my life focused on myself and how much enjoyment I could get out of life instead of being focused on God. Now, I grew up in a good Nazarene church, and I participated in all the things that, that are expected of a good Nazarene kid. I learned all the stories from the Bible. I knew them backwards and forwards. I, I prayed all the right prayers. I went down to the altar. You know, when my, when my Sunday school teachers or my VBS teachers, when, when they would be doing some of the after things that we do, and they'd be asking questions about, you know, have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you asked him to be a part of your life? My answer was always, of course I have. And I don't know, maybe I had. But what I know for certain is that my faith never raised to this level. I, I never hit this point where God was more important in my life, than all the pleasures that the world has to offer. By the time I got to high school, I was enjoying some of that newfound freedom that, that comes along with getting closer to being considered an adult. And by that point in my life, I had pretty well turned my back on God. And when you're 16 years old and, and you turn your back on God, when you're trying to get as far away from the church as you possibly can, you quickly find yourself on the wrong side of the law. That's just what happens. I earned a court-sponsored two-year vacation <laughs> from my family, from my friends, from my high school, and really from everything else that I had known in my life. Now, for a smarter person, that might uh, ring some bells. 
But for me, even that didn't help me see the importance of a right relationship with God. For me, I was in my late 20s, maybe my early 30s, before God really started to be a focus in my life. Maybe for the first time. Many of us, I believe, fall into this same pattern of behavior. As a matter of fact, there's no age restrictions on, on this real-world problem that so many of us today face. The truth is, we are either transformed by God, or we are transformed by the world. And if we care about God on any level whatsoever... We have to look back at God and, and we have to try and see what His plan is in all of this. Because it's only after we understand what, what God's plan is and what our role in that plan is, it's only then can we ever start to make any kind of informed decisions on moving forward on this, this sometimes nutty thing that we call our Christian life. The condensed version, if I had to put it into just one sentence on what God's plan is, I would say that God loves us so much that he wants us to be partners with him in ministry. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes about a lot of this. It's one of those letters that Paul wrote from prison, and it takes us on this journey from our, our pre-Christian part of our life right through our partnership with God in ministry. Ephesians chapter 2. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And we're going to see how we go from being wrecked to being redeemed to being responsible for playing a part in God's plan. So tonight we're going to look together at, at what Paul has to tell us. So if we we'll open our Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Tonight I'm reading from my grandparents' copy of the Living Bible, but uh, this is one of those sections of Scripture that, that pretty much... It's universal. Some words might be different, but no matter what version you have, it'll be pretty easy to follow along. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It said, Once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins, you went along with the crowd and were just like all of the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, who is at, work, is at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. Paul started out here with a pretty bold and a pretty clear reminder of where we were when we were pre-Christians. Now, for many of us, this section is, is really just a reminder. This is one of those, this is where I came from kind of passages. And there's a lot of intrinsic value in remembering where we came from. Because we can look at that time in our life and we can say very clearly, I don't want to go there again. That's not where I want to be. 
So when we remember that part in our life, it should be a motivation for us. When we, when we drop the mask that we wear, and when we honestly and truthfully evaluate our, our pre-Christian life, what we're going to find is Paul nailed it in these first couple verses. He nailed it. We were bound to our sins. And we went along with the world. We went along with the people around us. We were afraid to stand out as Christians, as followers of God, because of how we might look to the people around us. Have you heard the saying before? You're either with us or you're against us. Well, this applies to God too. You're either with God or you're against God. And anyone who is against God is with the enemy, the trickster, the deceiver, the devil. That's what we're talking about. The truth is, there's really only two teams in this fight. There's team God and there's team Satan. And the trouble is that when we're in that lifestyle, when we're living a life that we know is not our best life, when we're doing things that we know aren't going to make God happy, we justify it, don't we? We say, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. The truth of the matter is, I have never personally met anyone who said, you know what, I want to be on Team Satan. I've never met that person. But I know a lot of people who haven't made the commitment to be on Team God. They fake it like I did. But they aren't willing to follow God. At least not with their actions. So many times, the folks that are living in that part of their life, are they're following God with their words, with their mouths. But their actions don't always match what their mouths are saying. So this message starts out pretty boldly, and I pray that all of us here have moved past that part in our lives. I pray that we see it as a reminder as where we came from. But if you are somebody who, who maybe is living in that section of your life, and maybe just hearing it out loud, all of a sudden God's working on you and opening your eyes maybe a little bit, your heart, your mind, what I hope you hear right now is there's no need to be worried or embarrassed. The rest of this passage, the rest of this message, if you are in that part of your life, should be very encouraging for you. We're going to pick up in verse 3. It says, All of us used to be just as they are, our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passion or our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and we're under God's anger, just like everyone else. You see, every one of us, every single person in this room, has either been in that place in their life, or they're currently in that place in their life. So if, if you are somebody who is sitting there thinking, you know, I wonder if, if I might be living in two places, if I might partly be living for God, but, but part of me might still be living that life. 
If so, what I want you to hear is that you are not alone. You are not a freak, and it's not impossible to move forward. Picking up in verse 4, we're going to read why. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, He gave us back our lives again. When we raised Christ, when He raised Christ from the dead, only by His undeserved favor have we ever been saved. He lifted us up from the grave into glory along with Christ, where we sit with Him in the heavenly realms, all because of what Christ Jesus did. Through God's grace, because of His mercy, we get to enjoy a life that isn't full of sin. When we know that's an option, we almost have to ask ourselves, what is the real problem that we face? Is the real problem that we're living a sinful life not following God? Or is the real problem here that we care more about ourselves than we do God? That was the story of my life for a very long time. I cared more about myself than I cared about God. So we have to ask ourselves, where is God in all this? What is his plan? And the rest of our scripture today, these last few verses, it gives us a clear picture of what God's plan is. Starting again in verse 7. And now God can always point to us as examples of how very, very rich His kindness is, as shown in all He has done for us through Jesus Christ. Because of His kindness, you have been saved through trusting Christ. And even trusting is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. So none of us can take any credit for it. It is God Himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Now, in the light of this scripture that we've read together tonight, we can see that God intended us to be an example. He wants to look at us and, and point at us just like he did Job and say, Look at my servant. That's what He wants for us. He wants us to be in good relationship with Him. I'm going to be honest, that in itself is a pretty daunting mission, right? It puts some pressure on us. It tells us that God does care about our actions. God is expecting us to act differently than the people who Paul described as those who are against the Lord. You know, it might be nice if we could live our lives blissfully unaware, denying any knowledge of God's plan for us, 
that might be nice. I am the last person in the world that's going to stand up here and tell you that being faithful to God is all puppies and kitties. It just isn't. When we sell out to God, He may ask us to do something that completely blows our minds. One of my biggest fears in life was public speaking. I don't mean when I was a kid. I don't mean when I was in high school. I mean when God called me into ministry, one of my biggest, almost paralyzing fears was getting up in front of people and talking. Even then, even when God's calling me into the ministry, I didn't know he was calling me to be a preacher. I probably would have turned around and ran. There's all sorts of ways to answer God's call into ministry. It may not be preaching. Too many of us are happy to come to church week after week and exist as spectators sitting on the 50-yard line. We can do that, I guess, and, and we could even still call ourselves Christian. But really, we'd have to redefine what Christian meant. We'd have to redefine it as church attender, not follower of Christ. But I mean, I guess that's possible. But what we can't do is live our lives watching others participate in ministry, letting other people do the work of helping and say that we are following Jesus. Because if we look up the definition of following, what we find is we can say he has a following. And in that case, the word following is a noun. But when we say I'm following Jesus, that word following becomes a verb. A verb, of course, describes an action. You can't say, I'm following Jesus with no action involved. It's not grammatically correct. It's not factually correct. And it's not what God intended. If I can be honest right there, I, I originally wrote that to say it's not biblically correct. But after this morning, I couldn't leave it that way, and I went back and... But it's definitely not what God intended. I read a story this week that, that I want to share with you. One night, as a famous Bible teacher, F.B. Mayer, stood on the deck of a ship approaching land, he wondered how the crew knew and when to safely steer towards the dock. It was a stormy night and the visibility was terrible. And Meyer standing on the bridge and he's, he's looking out the window. And he asks the captain, he says, Captain, how do you know when to turn this ship into that narrow harbor? That's an art, replied the captain. He said, do you see those three red lights on the shore? He said, when they're all in a straight line, I go in. 
Meyer later said, when we want to know God's will, there are three things which will always occur. The inward impulse, the word of God, and the trend of circumstances. Never act until these three, three things agree. You know, I pondered that a lot this week. And what I realized is that that inward impulse that he's talking about, we call it God's provenient grace. It's a leading, and it's a convicting grace, and it helps us to see the need for change in our lives. When we think about the Word of God, quite honestly, we hear the Word of God in our services. And that trend of circumstances, well, quite honestly, that's the person or the people that God has put you into contact with that needs your help. It might be spiritual. It might be emotional. They may need you to physically get involved somehow. They might need your help doing something. But those are the people that God has already put into our lives. And quite honestly, this passage of Scripture that we looked at tonight, that we've talked about, it's just one of several places in the Bible where God talks about our need to go and our need to do. Your ministry is your calling and your mission. And to be quite honest, it falls underneath the larger umbrella of Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus himself said, Therefore, go and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Jesus was not just making a suggestion here. He was telling us how to steer the ship. Tonight's message assumes that you've already been saved. And that, that God has already given you a new life. But I really don't want to make that assumption tonight. Because it's not just the first step in some process that we take. Coming to know Jesus on a personal level breaks the curse of sin in your life. Maybe this is a step you need to take this evening. I don't know. If that is a step that you need to take, I, I hope that you know that this place is filled with people who love you and quite honestly want to see you in heaven one day. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that, that most of us here tonight have already made that commitment. That's why we're here on a Sunday night. This is not really a Sunday morning kind of message. This is really one of those wake-up calls for Christians reminding us that God has called us, and as it says in Ephesians, the second half of verse 10, chapter 2, and long ages ago, 
He planned that we should spend our lives helping others. Please, please don't forget that there are people in your life right now that need your help. I truly believe that. I believe that that God has placed them there knowing that you would hear this message tonight. And I prayerfully hope that maybe your eyes have been opened to how you might be able to help those people that God has placed in your life. It might be inviting them to church. It might be something as simple as holding the door open for them when their hands are full. It might be baking them a casserole when they've been in the hospital. Or it might be by sending them a card just saying, I love you and I'm praying for you. I'll be honest, I get those cards from Miss Janice. And I can't even begin to tell you how much they mean to me. So I'm asking right now, what is your role in this? Because this isn't one of those messages that we can just walk away and forget about. Each one of us has something that God wants us to do. Titus 2.14 tells us that, that the redeemed, the purified, the true Christians are zealous to do good works. Not just willing not just interested in doing good works. Titus uses the word zealous. This implies desire. It implies passion. It implies that that it's this fire that burns in your soul that you can only put out by pitching in and helping somebody. Something that I've been asking Christians for many years is what is your ministry? The ministry that God is calling you to is your mission. We all have a mission. We all have instructions. And if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure what either one of those are, ask God. Because he'll be more than happy to help you, to lead you. The truth is, together, we can make a difference. God loves us so much that he redeemed us and made us partners in his ministry. I've asked for one more song tonight from Miss Brenda and Miss Mary. And while they're singing that song, if, if there is something that God's working on you with, let's make it right together. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. Maybe you're praying for a friend or a family member. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but let's make it right together.
The altar, of course, is always open. And I hope we never look at that as a walk of shame. Because the truth is, it's a glory march. But if you're more comfortable staying right where you are and praying, do that. Whatever the case is, whatever God is working on your life with, let's make it right. Right.